This is Paul Nobles from Eat Perform. I am sitting here with April Blackford. April, if you want to say hi to everyone. Hi, everyone. So once again, we're sort of uh, changing the theme a bit. Um, whether you're watching on YouTube or listening on our podcast, we've kind of gone to more themes as we've moved to, towards more of a podcast-oriented type of thing. And that seems to be received fairly well. So tonight, one of the things that I thought I'd go over is, um, and kind of, you know, April has been sort of the the engineer with me, and I'll run through what I mean by that when we're talking a little bit later. But uh, when we started Eat to Perform three years ago, and what it is now, um, there are some major differences. And uh, I think in general, people will often say things like, well, you know, it's all very confusing. And to me, um, it seems fairly simple. And so I thought I might explain to you guys the way that I think of it. And then maybe that might help you guys in terms of your thought process. Of course, I'm going to do my standard long answer, so it probably will go for close to an hour, but um, my plain and simple um, explanation um, will go into various um, things we've sort of figured out along the way, and then also how exercise plays a role. And I started thinking about it today, April, like, is there anything that you can think of that ties both exercise and nutrition together. I know like, I, I remember like P90X and Insanity had like a, you know, a component where they they like threw in some kind of nutrition info, but it wasn't like a, a thing. And I think like Daily Burn and, and those guys, they tried to do something, but I don't, I think they're more, really more of a exercise. Can you, can you think of anything off the top of your head that, that I'm missing? Cause honestly, I, I really can't think of it seems like people want to go one way or the other not I, I would say no um, not as detailed as we do with the nutrition like what you said you know the the beach body stuff they'll do you know kind of basic um, you know this amount this amount but it doesn't really tailor to you know amounts serving sizes based on someone's body weight things like that so I would say no well I would argue that we don't do a, you know um, a great job of it from the standpoint of outward facing. Now, when you join Eat to Perform and you ask a coach, hey, do you have a, a training program that, uh, you know, I could do because um, I, you know, I don't have a gym or, you know, even if you do have a gym or there are ways that I can, you know, um, change the workouts from what I'm doing right now to something that's a little bit more in line with my goals, that's part of what we do, but I don't think that the good majority of people that think of Eat to Perform think of Eat to Perform from the standpoint of, you know, exercise programs with a clear definition of what that is. Does that make sense? Yes. I would think the good majority of people think of us, you know, like uh, I would say that there's your your what your juggernaut your p90x your crossfit and then people probably put us more in like the my fitness pal paleo weight watchers box right and 
we we're actually sort of a merging of the two and so we'll we'll sort of talk to, to about that a little bit um one of the things that i i thought i'd kind of start things off with was uh i was gone for the weekend and uh i'll go into a little bit of my thoughts as it relates to long endurance but i i definitely had an epiphany on uh friday um, because one of the things that i decided to do was to have more food available because i was sort of hitting that 13 14 mile um like limit and um, my body was definitely bothered by it so i started talking to a few of the runners at my gym and they were like yeah you know you're you're experiencing like the bonk and i was like no you know like there, there's no way that that soon you would go totally empty and you know turns out they were 100 correct um I, I ran 16 miles we were at a cabin in grand marais minnesota basically all i did was kind of run and we were on a dead end street that was about five miles long and so um what I did was just kind of run back and forth on the street. It had a slight incline, but it wasn't too hilly and it wasn't too bad one way or the other. But, you know, I, I kind of hit that wall, you know, around uh, mile 11 last couple weeks. And so uh, this week when I sort of hit it, I kind of knew that I could go to the cabin and, you know, just kind of load up on, on whatever I had available. And it wasn't, wasn't, probably the types of foods that I will use going in the future. I mean, we, it ended up being like popcorn and Starburst and Oreos. Um, I think, I think going forward, I'll be more prepared and probably have things like, um, bananas and, uh, uh, almonds, um, like uh, salty smokehouse house almond type of stuff. What was interesting was I was really craving potato chips. You know, not only I mean, really, you know, it's sort of interesting because you you um, you know, it seems like a carb intensive type of activity, and certainly is. Um, but it's really a calorie intensive. You know, one of the things that the uh, you know, the gal at my gym said was that most people use somewhere in the neighborhood of about a 300 calorie um, replacement factor for each hour. And uh, I would think that that's pretty close to right. Um, and so I am going to be a little bit more prepared. But what was the most hilarious thing about it is the last couple weeks, and once again, you know, I'm like the eat perform guy, you know, but I, my part of my thinking was, you know, that, um, you know, your body should be efficient enough to be able to use fats and then just eat afterwards. But as I start to go into 16, 18, 20 miles, I'm going to have to be a little bit more prepared. So I started asking some friends of mine that do it. So this week I was at 14 miles and, and at, at mile 11, I just decided to go in and eat some food. And I kind of ate, you know, a lot of food, um, a lot more. Like I was a little concerned about being uncomfortable as I ran. And sure enough, um, first of all, my carb drink, which I've always recommended to people, which is 15 grams of carbohydrates with 24 ounces of water. 
um, and then a non-tab, that works great. I mean, like you don't get that sloshy feeling that sometimes you do when you just drink water. It's so funny. We watched the, the 2015 CrossFit Games, and if there was one person that was drinking a, a legitimate carb drink, I did not see it. I mean, all I saw was people with water, and mostly the water – they were just pouring it on, on themselves to, to cool off. They didn't have a hydration um, strategy. It's sort of interesting because we're going to be talking to Doug Chapman here soon, and I'm going to be um, kind of asking him his thoughts on how people hydrate for something like that. But, but the long story short with that, and that's actually not the story that I wanted to start off with, but the long story short was that – from a mile 11 to mile 16 was like a breeze. I mean, it was like the easiest thing. I mean, literally the last couple weeks, I mean, I felt like I wanted to cut off my legs until I got food in and my body sort of acclimated. Then it was like, phew, you know, but this week um, it was great. I mean, and, and, you know, I left there, we went as a family. Um, I think I, 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 ran from like one to, you know, four thirty or something like that. And then, you know, we, we went out as a family for that evening and, and seemingly no ill effects at all. You know, so the, the food definitely made a difference. Um, you know, any, any thoughts on that? Cause I mean, it sounds kind of silly, like the, the eat to perform guy, but I mean, I, I just, <laughs> I guess I really thought, you know, that, it would be, you know, I'd be fine enough, right? And then what was happening was is in the past couple weeks, I would leave there and I would just scarf down all this food, you know, when I, you know, when I was able to snack in between, I wasn't really hungry, you know, afterwards. I didn't feel this need to eat a large amount of food um, and, and my body just recovered a lot better. Um, um, I would just, just that, that. I think your, your microphone is causing me to echo. I'm not hearing an echo on my side, but. Okay. All right. I hear the echo. Um, I would just say that moving forward, that obviously this is a lesson learned because here I am all along thinking that you were doing some level of <laughs> carbohydrates during all these long runs. Um. Well, I, you know, <clears throat> if, if you look at the carb drink that I was just describing, that's only 60 calories. Yeah, and, that's, and know, so um, yeah, I've had that before, um, but you know, just having to have a better strategy. I mean, it, it you know, it's like people are go, you know probably listening to this going, duh. Well, you know, it, I I think it it's one of those things that as you get past that ten mile barrier, first of all, from one to ten miles. Absolutely, I would not need any type of um, uh, rehydration, even though it would be, you know, up to two hours. Um, I, you know, I could just eat afterwards and be fine. But, you know, as we start to go into 16, 18, 20 miles, now we're, we're going to have a better strategy. So, and the, and the nice thing is, is that I really wasn't that prepared this time. I mean, other than the fact that I had food in my cabin. Um, so knowing sort of what my body might be craving and having that available, I think will be kind of a um, an interesting 
strategy. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to talk about, we were coming back from Duluth, uh, we were coming back from Grand Marais, uh, which is northern Minnesota, close to the Canadian border. And then we were coming back through Duluth. And, uh, you know, my daughters are, are kind of picky. And uh, we were, we stopped at this one restaurant that we normally stop in to have breakfast, but they, it was too late in the day and they weren't serving breakfast. And so I was hoping to get soup. My daughters weren't into that. So we still kept on going to Duluth, right? And once we got to Duluth, um, we ended up getting Jimmy John's. They wanted to eat Jimmy John's. I, I didn't want to eat Jimmy John's. And so um, not, not because I have something against Jimmy John's, and you'll see kind of where I'm going with this um, in a second. So we ended up going to this little cafe, and it was an Italian um, cafe overlooking Lake Superior. And uh, it had like Italian sausage soup. And in the soup, they had potatoes, and it was a very salty soup right and and it had tomatoes in it and and as i was sitting there eating it while dipping my bread into the soup all i could think of was this is processed meat it's high in sodium it's got two nightshades in it right and all i could think was this is the epitome of the type of corner people paint themselves into, right? I mean, you'd end up looking all throughout the whole city of Duluth for something that very specifically fits exactly what you need, right? Rather than just going, you know what? I mean, there was nothing bad about the soup. You know, it had, it had potatoes, you know, um, the, 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 it was really good soup actually. Um, and, but I was just thinking to myself that, you know, even in the past, I would have been someone that would have been a little persnickety about that. Um, that's the other thing. I mean, we'll talk about this here in a, in a second, but the fact that you couldn't count it, you know, that's another thing that sometimes people will sort of bother themselves with it. So then... Um, and I, this comes up a lot when we start talking about our relationships with food and then our relationships with our children, right? Um, so we leave that place. And then my youngest daughter, I mean, like a half block away, goes, oh, look, a malt shop, <laughs> right? And so <clears throat> my, my thought process was not, you know, I'm going to have a malt, but certainly my daughter is saying, you know, hey, I'd like to have a malt right now. And so we turned around the car and we all had malts. And I thought to myself, that's the kind of thing you should do on vacation. That's the kind of thing that you should enjoy, right? And, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to talk about the theme that we're about to talk about today is that you can sort of get caught up into what you believe are the rules of any way of eating. And there are other, um, you know, most systems will say, you know, if you, you know, 
any mistake is a big mistake and and you should reset and start over and all this other type of stuff and i think that that's actually part of the problem you know and then when we talk about our relationship with food and being a good example for our children if you're on vacation and you're you can't have you know foods outside of whatever you consider your little box to be in that's the problem right so you need to get out of that box and so we're going to talk a little bit about what what that looks like but what i wanted to say was i didn't work out that day i didn't have a lot of steps that day and so um and then you know today um you know i woke up i look in the mirror and i'm fine right i mean it was really you know if anything i was kind of leaner than i might normally be and i think we sort of get into this routine i mean certainly if you're going to have a lot of calories on any given day having activity around those calories probably makes more sense than not but it doesn't mean every single day it doesn't mean that you can't deviate from that plan on occasion i think people will often you know um sort of get to a point where they they feel kind of pushed into a corner and and what i'm trying to say is that that's actually kind of a net negative i mean it does help in my instance you know, and, and we're going to talk about that here soon, but you know, you're not dieting all the time, right? And that's part of the, the, you know, the kind of the nice part of eat form. Do you have any thoughts about that? Because I mean, obviously, you know, you have kids, I mean, you've got a college age child and, and then you have kids that live in your house. I mean, how, how do you deal with that kind of stuff? Um, I think that it's, it's, I think the, that what you're describing is is what Eat to Perform is all about and you know what it should be is gaining a better relationship not only with food but also not letting it control your life you know and you know being able to enjoy time with your children or your family and not stress over is this going to fit or is this going to you know is, is this got nightshades in it or whatever you know a, a funny story you're talking about your story over the weekend um, me and, and Tom and my son, we went to our uh, beach house in Virginia Beach this past weekend. We had yard work and stuff like that to do because um, we um, evicted the, the tenant that we used to have there watching over the property. But um, we had worked in the yard like five hours on Saturday. So I naturally did not eat as much. I ate a lot that day, but, you know, wasn't as rigid on, you know, kind of schedule, making sure I ate breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks, you know, things like that. So what happens Sunday, I get up, you know, we don't keep the house fully stocked with groceries, basically just what you're going to eat. And I basically ate for breakfast, you know, years ago, I would never have done this, but I ate three eggs, six pieces of bacon and ribs for breakfast. That was, that was my breakfast. And any other time, you know, I would never have eaten that, you know, but it was basically, it was just all about, you know, nutrients and, and energy, you know, and, and, and things like that. And, you know, just, just the, the, the mere being able to, you know, enjoy time with your children and not have them seeing you restricting food or, you know, because I have the, I have two older daughters and the girls I think are a lot more impressionable than the boys, but they, they watch us and they know what we do, you know, and they see that and they see those behaviors and sometimes it can kind of transfer over, you know, to their behaviors. And that's the last thing that I want them to do is to, you know, give my child a disordered relationship with food. 
So I am changing to my built-in microphone because people are saying that they cannot hear you. And so I'm going to try and fix that because um, I'm assuming that when I, when I had to mute my microphone, I don't know how that would have affected the broadcast, but uh, we might not have as good of audio for the podcast as we move forward. But, yeah, I mean, like what you're saying I think is, you know, really sort of the, the core of having a better relationship with food. And the thing that's interesting, and I, I said this in my write-up that's actually going to come turn into a post here in the next few days, but what I said was, because I think there's a lot of people that would go, oh, my goodness, he had Starburst and Oreos. Why couldn't he have just had chicken and kale, you know? Um, and the thing is, is that, you know, I needed calories at that point. I didn't need, you know, nutrients at that point. And, and it doesn't mean that, I'm not a fan of nutrients, right? I'm, you know, I will eat chicken and kale, right? But I'm just saying that at that point, you know, certainly I think during that workout, I burned 2,400 calories. Um, I'm absolutely certain I didn't eat more than, say, 500 calories worth of Starburst, popcorn, and Oreos at the time. So, um, Maybe six to seven hundred, actually, um, but but it was uh, it was not an extreme amount of calories. Is sort of the point, and I think that people focus a little too much on food quality at times when they just need calories, right? And so that's something to think about. So one of the things that uh, when I ta started talking about the theme of tonight's podcast. And I just wanted to ask if everybody can now hear April. Um, and then Charlie's saying, yes, that worked. So apparently my microphone being muted, muted you. So it'll be interesting to hear if that affected the... Um, my bacon story. What now? My bacon story. <laughs> yeah, it affected the story. Um, but uh, so... I sent April a message when I was starting to think about the tonight's theme and and what I I was reading a book on simplicity and it was talking about why Apple, you know, from a marketing standpoint was so much better than HP and Microsoft and all these other companies that sort of lost their way. And Apple has always been able to maintain this like startup mentality and i would i would argue google probably does has some similar um things going in a positive direction but what was interesting was how they were just talking about simplistic things and and they would have meetings with very small amounts of people and i, I think you know to our meetings with each perform and how you know when you know, we're in smaller groups, we're able to be a little bit more effective. And then when we have, you know, big meetings with 26 people, sometimes the wheels come off. And so, you know, it's just too many cooks in the kitchen and not everyone, you know, there's probably 14 of the people in those meetings going, I have no idea why I'm here, you know? So we're, 
you know, after reading this, I, I think that uh, we have one meeting like that every week, and, and every week it does end up kind of being a little bit of a train wreck. Um, so we will probably change that a little bit. But what I thought I'd talk to people about and then unpack the ideas was one, um, you know, a one-sentence line of, you know, how to easily do eat to perform. And, and that is the goal of eat to perform is to teach you to eat an adequate amount for what you do, continuously pushing the what you do part. And what I think happens for a lot of people is they start off eating less and then, you know, eating less kind of works for a little while and then all of a sudden that stops and then people start doing more and, you know, that works for a while and then people stop. And then, you know, they hit this like end of the road and they're not exactly where they want to be, right? And what we're saying and what we've been saying for three years now is not necessarily new, but it is different and new to the population that we're talking to because the majority of the people that are my age, which is 47, how, how old are you, April? 38. I don't think I'm supposed to ask you that, but. but I'm 38. I'm proud to say I'm 38. You're, you're 10 years younger than me. Um, and. But, uh, well, nine years younger than me. But, uh, but to our audience, to 38-year-old females, to 47-year-old males, there aren't a lot of people saying you should continuously push who you are as a human being. You should continuously thrive. And I know a lot of people think that they think that. But what they're really sort of telling people is, you know, exercise but eat clean you know and then um the the message like doesn't make mathematical sense right you know like as an example and i know it's going to go contrary to the young people that i was just talking about but i was talking to two of our crossfit games athletes and um i said to them that you know, I did their calculations and they were supposed to be eating somewhere in the neighborhood of 4,800 calories a day. And they were like, oh my goodness, you know, how am I ever going to eat that much food? And so I sent them one of our athletes that is eating that much food who has seen tremendous gains and showed to, to show them examples. Like this is what this person has been eating for the last two years. He went from 160 pounds. Now he's 195. He was lifting this and now he's lifting this. And if I'm them, there's a part of me that's thinking, I don't get why I need to eat what you're saying because I'm already a CrossFit Games athlete. And my argument to them, and I said this directly to them, so I'm not like sharing any trade secrets or anything, but I said to them, if getting to your to the CrossFit Games is your goal, then keep doing what you're doing. But if winning the CrossFit Games is your goal, then you need to listen to what I'm saying because your body actually wants to eat this much. You're artificially holding the, your potential back you know, and look, I get it. I mean, like CrossFit, the Olympics. I mean, there's a lot of sports that 
almost require you to be a certain weight. And that's fine. I'm not suggesting that they won't be that weight at some, some future point. But they're assuming that they're going to gain a lot of weight based on the fact that they're eating 3,200 calories now or whatever they're eating. To be honest with you, most people in that situation don't really know how much they're eating. I mean, I remember having a discussion with one gentleman who, you know, once again, CrossFit Games athlete, um, and he said to me, he's like, look, dude, here's the deal. You know, for like two, three days, he's like, I almost eat nothing. And then, you know, that last day is just like, you know, whatever's in sight, you know, I'll eat. And I said, if you want to get to where you want to go, you're going to need to be a little bit more prepared in the process. You know, you're going to have to, you know, at least have a better strategy as it relates to planning. And sure enough, you know, he, you know, ended up winning his region ended up, you know, and that was just a conversation. He's not like someone that we work with, but, you know, he did, you know, talk to me later on and he's like, what you said to me made a really big difference, dude. And I was like, yeah, you know, it's amazing what the amount, you know, amounts of food matter, you know? And so, you know, yeah, you know, can you get away with under eating and can you work out? Absolutely. But are you going to reach your potential I would say no. And then you go, well, I don't really care about being a CrossFit Games athlete. Well, that's fine, but you're still artificially holding back your metabolism, right? And we are not asking you to eat more food just for the simple fact of eating more food. We're wanting you to increase your metabolism and then increase your output. You know, one of the arguments that I make for long endurance is most people will say, you know, I CrossFit two to three days a week. And, you know, actual work in that scenario, if it's an hours class, there's probably 15 to 20 minutes of kind of work. And then there's 15 minutes of high intensity work. Not high intensity the way that I would define high intensity because a lot of them are pacing that high intensity, but it's still hard work, right? But at the end of the day, okay, you're looking at anywhere between 300 to 500 calories burned in that time period. So a lot of people will say to me, you know, is that enough working out to justify X amount of food? And I still argue that the good majority of people are repressing their metabolism to where, you know, they could really not do much at all and still get away with more food than they're allowing for themselves right now. Right. But, but so let, let's follow my long endurance example. So somebody wads four times a week at 500 calories. Okay. So that's 2000 calories. And they'll go, well, I'm not sure that I'm working enough, you know, to, to, you know, eat an adequate amount of food or, or whatever. And look, I get it. You know, I have a family, you know, it's difficult to, to sometimes make exercise a priority. And so getting to the gym three, four times a week, you know, that's, that's a good thing. But I am making the argument that one day a week you can have a longer, um, 
exercise day. And then, you know, like I mentioned on Friday, mine was 2,400. So if you look at that person that's doing four days a week, okay, that, and, and that's CrossFit. So if, if you're not doing CrossFit and you're just weightlifting without a whole lot of cardio, without a lot of added lists and stuff like that, now all of a sudden in that one workout, I worked out 500 cal or 400 calories more than you did, right? And I still am able to do wads through the rest of the week. And so what's nice about it is, is that I can sort of change my goals. Whereas I think most people, if they were truly honest with you, they kind of want to get better at exercise, but they're really sort of earning calories in an effort for body composition or weight to go down or something of this nature, right? And, and, and I'm saying that amount of work matters, right? And so if you can have 2,400 calories on one day and then three other days of the week, you know, because I get it, like it's hard to work out, you know, um, for long periods of time, many days. I mean, the CrossFit Games athletes that I was just talking about, those guys work out, you know, five hours a day, six hours a day sometimes, you know, and a lot of that isn't like long endurance. I mean, they're, they're doing, you know, weightlifting in the morning, you know, kind of a, a wad endurance piece, you know, that type of stuff. So it's kind of a, kind of planned in that way. Um, any thoughts on what I'm saying here, April? Because I'm sure that there's probably some some things that you know would interest people that you would be your your thoughts. Um, I'm, I'm actually just listening, waiting for the finale. Um, I agree with what you're saying in regards to increasing output. Um, you know, you talk about all this running, and it kind of makes me want to run a little bit. But you know, <laughs> I'm wait till you get up to the 20 mile mark, and then I got to start. <laughs> well, I, I think that you know. I mean, me talking about, you know, 16 miles or whatever. I mean, there's there's people that lift more weight than I do. There's people that run farther than I do. You know, this is just me being me, you know. And so, like, for you, you know, to, to run a mile or run a mile and a half or, or even hike or even bike or even, you know, like whatever it is that you want to do, what I'm saying is work always matters, you know. And so, you know, for you, as an example, you, um, you know, I don't think that everyone can work out three hours, a, you know, a day, right? Um, but I do think that people could work out, you know, two hours on one day, right? Or three hours on one day. Everyone can make that a priority, you know, and, and if that was a Saturday and then you use that Saturday as a way of, you know, kind of loosening the belt a little bit, then that's, that's a good way to do it, right? But, um, you know, it doesn't have to be running. It just, you know, from my standpoint, it's running. And I, I will, I'll talk a little bit about why I, I, I'm doing the running. Um, I'm doing it as sort of a kinship with runners. I'm doing it to say to runners, hey, you can eat to perform. I think it's, you know, I'm not going to curse, but because um, I, I don't know if that makes a big difference on that little E on the podcast, but I think it's idiotic that, that people talk about the fact that, uh, you know, you can, you know, you're going to lose all your gains. It's, it's ridiculous to me. If I can, if I, 
burn 4,000 calories and I eat 5,000 calories, I'm not losing any gains by running. And in fact, I would argue that um, I can recover better by not constantly using those energy systems. And one of the things that you often see with exercise is that people, you know, exercise the same energy systems often. And so, you know, tomorrow, as an example, that's my heavy day. You know, I mean, my I'll be doing reps at, you know, the other day, uh, you know, I was, I was doing, uh, actually, it wasn't too heavy, actually, now that I think about it. Um, but I ended up doing, you know, something like 40 reps within a minute and a half at 225, you know, because it was like a timed um, event. But, you know, it's routine for me to do like 315 for lots of reps, you know, only days after running 16 miles, you know, um, it's routine for me to work up to 450 pound one rep max only days after running a half marathon. So like, I mean, I don't mean to be rude to anyone, but I think people are being rude to runners a lot, you know, when they talk about, you know, oh, you're, you're going to lose all your weight training by running. I just, you know, the science doesn't back that up, you know, and, and, you know, especially when you're talking about recovering adequately and eating an adequate amount of food for, for what you do. And so, you know, I feel great. I'm excited about my workout tomorrow. You know, um, I'm actually just working back up um, to over 500 pounds. Um, on a, uh, I've actually never lifted in competition 500 pounds, but I have worked with 500 pounds in my hands number of time within workouts. Um, but um, any any thoughts on that? Because I think that you know a lot of a lot of people think to themselves, man, I wonder if there's a way I could get more work in, and so they start thinking in themselves, you know, I could do two a days, I could do this, I could do that. And they don't consider the fact that if you took one day of the week and you worked up to having a good cardio base to where you could, you know, row a half marathon or, or use some level of aerodynes, even though people think I'm crazy when I do that, um, that those things are, are net positive. I think the the key would be like what you said, when someone is, you know, trying to, to figure out how they can do more work kind of broadening the, the the scope a little bit and not just look, look at, kind of like me, you know, I'll do, I'll do, you know, I primarily, you know, lift, I do hypertrophy, you know, as all my assistant stuff. And some days I'll, I'll throw in some conditioning, but for the most part, you know, other than spending time with my family, maybe taking a hike and doing something active like that, I don't do cardio, you know, and rather than just looking like me, just looking at my little realm of training of what I do actually do, maybe trying to broaden it a little bit and say, you know, well, maybe this week I'll go rock climbing or, you know, whatever, you know. I, I think everyone can do. I mean, like, you know, I think a lot of people are listening to what I'm talking about with long endurance and they're just thinking about the running. That's just my journey. That's my way of doing it. I don't necessarily want people to go uh, to feel imprisoned by what I'm talking about, but I do want them to explore you know, longer activities. I mean, we had, we had someone that, you know, is a, is a competitive kayaker, you know, and they were talking about being on the water for six hours, 
you know, th that's the kind of stuff that I'm talking about, you know, whether it's rock climbing, whether it's, you know, hiking, you know, all these things are super positive. And one of the things that we actually talked about um, when we were talking about uh, how most diets measure success and uh, we started thinking about how we measure success as a, as a staff. And I actually um, sent this as a message to someone. But what the way that we view a client's success is different than being kind of um, uh, pigeonholed by you know, this thought process of, because I think when a lot of people come to eat perform, they, they'll say things like, well, I have 30 pounds to lose. And then I'll say something like, you know, I don't care how much you have to lose because, you know, frankly, that's not how goals, you know, it, 30 pounds is like a wish, you know, five pounds is a goal. Right. And so that's the way that I think of it. And that's the way that I think that we try to impress upon clients that it's really these these expectations, and especially lofty expectations, because you know, as somebody who you know was 230 pounds at one point, and right now I weigh 170 pounds, that's a 60 pound difference. You don't lose 60 pounds going, I need to lose 60 pounds. You know, and every day feeling this burden that 60 pounds is your goal. But if you break it down into five pounds, now all of a sudden you have something. And then if you break it down similar to the way that, that, that we think with the wave method, you know, um, then you know, it extends the time frame, but it allows you a more patient understanding of what your body actually wants. And so therefore you're able to get there. And I'll, I'll talk about the wave method in just a second. Um, and then sort of the history of how we, we sort of came up with that. Um, but I, cause I think that that's important, but what I wanted to talk about was, you know, how we view a client's success. And the first priority is that, that they change their relationship with themselves, you know, because I think that, you know, part of the expectation that we were just talking about is that if you're, you know, not really comfortable with the person in the mirror, those expectations become a burden. And so, you know, a lot of the times when you've been under eating for years and years and you've kind of been imprisoned by this diet mindset, just forgiving yourself, you know, I would say that there was, that was a little bit of my journey, right? Forgiving myself for what, you know, like, I think we all consider ourselves fairly intelligent. And then you go, well, okay, buddy, you're intelligent. How'd you end up at 230 pounds? Because, you know, previous to eat to form, all I could think was it was just a lack of will, you know, or a lack of, you know, all the little things added up over time. And it, it's sort of funny because, you know, if you look at my description of what I was talking about in Duluth, the way that I ate, you know, for that one day, was the way that I would have eaten virtually every day, right? When I was eating, you know, without really any thought, you know, I mean, I'm talking about in my, you know, mid twenties and, and into thirties, as I got into my thirties, I became more conscious of the way that I eat. And I was sort of, you know, stuck in the, 
and the diet mentality the way that most people are. And then, you know, as I got later in my 30s, I just started realizing that, you know, the standard stuff just wasn't working for me. And then that's ultimately how I became, you know, um, how I figured out, you know, the whole eat to perform methodology. Um, with April, I mean, you know, what a lot of people don't realize is that April and I have known each other for what, like close to six years now. Um, I knew April before I started doing CrossFit, you know, which is something that I think a lot of people don't realize. Um, and so, you know, our second priority for clients is that to change their relationship with food. And we sort of went over that. And then third priority, priority is that you change your relationship with exercise. Because if you're just thinking of exercise as a way of earning food or you're just thinking of exercise as this burden that you have to do, right, um, to maintain body composition, and then, of course, you know, if you're under eating, you know, there's just all these negatives that come with it. And if you can flip that script completely with all those three priorities, now all of a sudden you actually have the formula for what actually works. And so whether you're trying to gain muscle, whether you're trying to lose fat, you're trying to gain performance, or some combination of these three, if you don't have those first three priorities in place, you will always struggle because you will always put other things first when if you put those things first, you'll actually see more success. At least that's what we believe as a staff what we teach people on a daily basis and one of the reasons why we've had so much success i think people you know people will often say well have you ever had anyone lose 200 pounds i'm like well i don't think it's realistic to ask me that question until you know we're five years in right we're saying to people you know you should be more patient and we've had a number of people that you know have major major you know weight loss major major fat loss um but in general we're sticking to our plan and our plan is you know that you can be a more healthy individual today right um if you have those priorities in place what are your thoughts on that april you know i thought almost every day you know gradual gradual process gradual results are sustainable for a lifetime you know, when, like what you said, you know, I've, I talk to people daily and I tell them the exact same thing, you know, with setting goals, you know, you set goals that are attainable that, you know, if you set goals that are too large, you know, kind of like me, whereas I don't run, you know, I could run a mile fairly easy, but it's like me signing up for a marathon, you know, when it's going to get closer to the marathon and I haven't ran, you know, when it comes time, it's just going to seem, you know, overwhelming and daunting that I'm never going to be able to do this. Whereas, why not sign up for a 5k first, you know, and then, you know, complete that and then do a 10k and then a half marathon. Same thing, you know, you, you set the small goals, attain that, and you're just kind of chipping away at it, you know, overall. And like what you were saying in regards to the, the weight loss, you know, obviously, you know, there are some people who at some point, you know, do need to, to lose weight, but you know, a lot of people can actually fix, you know, or, get to a better version of themselves by just losing fat, by getting better at their workouts and, you know, increasing their work capacity and, you know, just by adding muscle mass. That's 
you know, rather than focusing on that number, just like me, you know, I remember, I don't, you, you were talking about how long we've known each other. You know, remember the, the days, the, the last, you know, bulk that I did and I was, you know, 140 pounds and all I did was stress about how much fat I had to lose, you know, oh, I have to lose all this fat, you know, whereas, you know, which I did, you know, increase my calories and then, you know, cut body fat. But now I'm actually back, you know, the same weight I was then, but substantially leaner by taking a couple years on just enjoying the process and getting stronger and just, you know, having fun, you know, and not stressing about, you know, the weight, the, you know, dieting, things like that. Yeah. I mean, people will talk about, you know, Hey, when are you going to do your next performance focused fat loss? And like, I hope never, you know, I mean, like, isn't that the goal? I mean, I mean, isn't that the goal is to get to a body composition that you're comfortable with? I mean, yeah, it might not be 4%, you know what I'm saying? It might not be like Lane Norton, you know, um, but I'm not really going for Lane Norton. I'm not really going for like professional bodybuilder. I'm really going for most capable version of me. And so I feel like um, if I can continue on the path that I'm on, um, that, that I can get to where I'm at. But I can tell you right now, I can take off my shirt, go on a beach, and I'd feel perfectly comfortable right now today. You know, exactly, exactly. And that's, and that's exactly what I'm talking about. You know, you're, you know, you're just happy. You're, you're happy with your version you know, that you are now. Yeah. And I, and, and, and a lot of people are going to go, yeah, well, you know, I mean, you're, you're a relatively fit guy. I mean, you know, what about me? Look, you know, you know, I've, I've always liked the whole, you know, bikini body thing you know, just put a bikini on your body, you know, and now you have a bikini body. Um, I think that we all overthink that stuff. And I think that, you know, I, I remember the Dr. Phil thing at one point, uh, you know, his, it was like his dad's thing. I'm not a big Dr. Phil guy, but um, I remember he, he would say that something like his dad would say, if you really knew how often people thought about you, you wouldn't be so concerned about what people think of you. And the idea being that, you know, people aren't preoccupied with you. They're not thinking about what you look like in a bikini. They're just thinking, oh, there's someone on the beach in the bikini. I can't see the ocean anymore. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, they're, they're not thinking about you. They're not, they don't concern themselves with you. And, you know, I think that we're our harshest critic. And, uh, you know, one of the things I was going to say earlier was that if you're like listening to the podcast, you don't know that we're actually sitting here with clients and people do have the ability to talk to us. And there is one question that I'm going to get to in a second, but you know, with these themes, we don't always, you know, go for a lot of questions. What we're really trying to do is, is get some big chunks in the way. But what I wanted to talk about was the wave method. Because previous to the wave method, the prescription that we had, and one of the things that I always say in seminars is uh, the wave not method is a method. It's not the method. And what I mean by that is when you are eating an adequate amount 
a food for what you do the majority of the time. There are a lot of deficit programs that will work. The, the problem is, is that, you know, deficit programs at a certain point quit working because you're so focused on the deficit all the time. And eat reform is kind of the opposite of that. It's sort of the 180 degrees different than that. We're sort of teaching people to not be dieting the majority of the time. And so the few times that they would, um, they would, you know, see more success. And, you know, it's sometimes relative to how much your metabolism is healed over time, how long have you been dieting, things of this nature. And when I remember when I wrote the Wave Method article, um, it was based off of uh, clients that, that we were working with at the time, um, some of the stuff that I had experimented with. Um, but we had always sort of had this, you know, um, parameter in place where you know there would be periods of increase and then periods where you would decrease but the thing about the wave method that i really think changed you know even our approach as a staff was we were allowing people to recover metabolically by using their rest days as a way to decrease calories and kind of keep their average calories lower. And it was fine because it was allowing people to um, not struggle, but they weren't seeing the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. And that became really super clear over time. And so that's, that's when like, you know, I started writing about the wave method. Um, the Fitbit was really, uh, you know, instrumental in a lot of the stuff that we're talking about right now, because, you know, what I think a lot of people think is, you know, hey, my Fitbit says I burned 2,300 calories today, um, but I ate, you know, 1,300 calories today. Why am I not losing any weight? It's like, well, you know, your body's just going to adjust to whatever it's, you know, it is you're giving it. And so what I don't think a lot of people realize is how much the period of non-dieting, right, impacts the period of dieting. In fact, you could argue, and I would argue this fact, that the period of not dieting is actually more important than the period of dieting. And if you are focused on that, that's really kind of the secret, right? And um, and then, of course, you know, there's the you know, all the positive things as it relates to your relationship with yourself. When you can eat like a normal human being, you can, you know, be social in social settings and things of that, things of that nature. But what I, I think what was most interesting about the wave method, because when I first wrote the article, like no one had any interest in it at all. At all. Um, and then all of a sudden people started realizing, whoa, like this guy is saying, like this is, you know, the eat to form fat loss system. And in a sense that's true, but in a sense it's not true because, you know, I do believe that, that there's a lot of ways that you can like skin the cat. But I think that what was happening previous to the wave method was people were just dipping their toes in and, and they weren't seeing the gold at the end of the rainbow. And so the wave method sort of gave them like, oh yeah, if I can kind of get to this level, then I can gradually get to where I want to go. And what was happening was 
is when you just kind of dip your toe. And if like you're not, you know, I'm, if you're listening on the podcast, what you'll see is I'm gradually moving my finger up, but not enough to really make a, a difference. But when you're doing the wave method, you're really sort of moving in a more concerted effort to get your calories up higher. So then, you know, your cuts are more effective. And then people will focus on you know, a couple pounds of, of, of you know, weight that they gain um, over that short period of time. But when we, we talk about, you know, a wave period, you know, you should be losing eight to 10 pounds. And so if you're up two to three pounds, it gives your body the potential to add some lean tissue. Certainly you would add more work in that scenario. I mean, one of the things that was interesting about yesterday, you know, um, you know, coming to Duluth, I, I don't really do a lot of dairy. I mean, one of the reasons why I don't is because, you know, I mean, I'm like a lot of people, you know, I feel a little bloated, but I've, we've always made the argument and I certainly would make the argument after yesterday's experience that bloating is actually a value because if you allow your body to live in, you know, a state of excess occasionally, then your body will often, you know, be leaner as a result. Your muscles get more filled up. You know, when you look at, you know, some of the descriptions that I made related to each perform, and you think about, you know, I don't think the good majority of people think about what a diet is supposed to do. Like, what's the mechanism of that diet, right? And so, let me just talk real quickly about three diets real quick, just so I can give you the basic like duh factor, right? And if you haven't thought of this, you should have thought of this. Like this is, this should be something that, that should have occurred to you. You look at paleo, okay? It's basically taking out all the foods that bloat you, right? And you go, well, that's good. I don't like feeling bloated. That's fine. If you don't like feeling bloated, Paleo will be good for that, but it's not going to be great in terms of getting to be a better athlete long-term. And you go, well, what if I ate an adequate amount for what I do? I would still argue that if you're not smart about starches and smart about um, really some level of bloating, but in general, the whole idea of paleo, like when – you know, paleo has changed so much since the beginning. I mean, we could literally do a podcast on that. And we may do a podcast on that at some point. But the the idea is just to keep inflammation down, which kind of argues that inflammation is always bad. And I would argue that inflammation is part of the healing process. It's part of, you know, the process that basically your body um, needs to thrive, to get better, to build lean tissue, to, you know, all these things. And so as a short-term deficit program, can it be effective? Sure, right? But is it something that you want to rely upon all the time? I would say if you're trying to get better as a human being, that, you know, it has its pitfalls, right? And so some level of inflammation, and I've always liked, you know, like, you know, anytime you say, you know, the word paleo, people are going to think you're using the word paleo in vain. I'm not using the word paleo in vain. I'm, I'm actually, you know, making an argument for how you could use paleo effectively. 
but what I'm saying is, is that if you're just going to eat, you know, lean, or you're just going to eat fat, or you're just really focused on keeping your inflammation low, there's some net negatives to that. And so you should be aware of that. And so when you look at, let's say something like the zone, okay, one of the arguments that zone people would say is that, hey, the zone is balanced. And therefore, I can have some carbohydrates, I can have, you know, an adequate amount of fat. There is a mechanism in place where I can kind of change my goals, and that's all fine, okay? But I've never really heard of anyone saying that they eat 48 blocks a day, right? And so if you say roughly, um, if you look at the athlete that I was talking about earlier, it needs to eat 5,000 calories a day, that's going to be roughly 50 blocks of zone. There is no zone person that eats 50 blocks, right? I, I've done, you know, somewhere in the order of like 30 to 50 live seminars, and I've I asked this question, like, do you know anyone that's ever bulked on the zone? And I've never yet had one person say yes. So everyone, you know, sort of knows that zone's a deficit system. Once again, is it an effective deficit system? I would argue that what we teach people with the wave method is slightly better than all these systems because it's a little bit more specific. I mean, I was talking to one of our clients the other day and, and her high wave number was 2,400 calories. Um, and, uh, you know, I said, have you ever dieted, you know, at 2,400 calories before? She just cracked up laughing. She's like, no, you know, of course I didn't. You know, I thought that I had to be super um you know super restrictive that's actually one thing that i shoot i can't believe that i haven't mentioned this up to this point you don't need to count right and actually you know we're sort of getting into this a little late we might bring this up the next podcast because april was the reason why we started to count. And I, early on, I used to make the argument a lot, right? I mean, like, you know, it, before I started doing these podcasts with April, as an example, um, we weren't talking about counting calories. And I don't count calories right now, right? Um, I do count calories on occasion, but usually it's to make sure that I'm eating enough, not um, because, you know, I'm trying to restrict my calories. So we will kind of deep dive that a little bit. I'm actually, that was actually a big theme that I was going to talk about. Um, but I think that, you know, part of the argument that we will make, you know, in the next podcast is that how are we going to be able to coach you? You know, that that's where we, you know, that's when we started to see like each form go kind of crazy, right? Was when we started to introduce i mean we were trying to do it where you could eat intuitively and certainly if you want to have the good majority of your uh, you know uh, carbohydrates and calories on workout days and then be more fat reliant on rest days you know you can do that that's what i do right um though honestly i i do eat 
um, more calories or more calories and carbs than most people think on rest days. And I, I had to sort of learn that. And I learned that process by counting calories, ironically. And um, so, so we'll talk a little bit. Should we just like deep dive that a little bit more? Because I think that, you know, April was really the reason why we started counting calories with each perform. And I came to that kicking and screaming and April was right. And I was wrong, you know, because my thought process was, you know, no one's going to want to stick to that for life. And I think April's argument, and I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I could, could let you state it, but I think your argument would be, if you never have an understanding, you'll never be able to eat intuitively correctly. Is that, is that close to right? Exactly. You have to have, a, you have to have an idea as to how much you need to eat, you know, and, and like what you were saying, you know, some people assume they eat a lot and then when they count, they're like, holy crap, you know, I don't hardly eat anything, you know, whereas some people think, you know, that they're dieting and, you know, they count their calories and they're like, holy crap, I'm eating a lot. You know, so he could actually go both ways, you know, so, you know, but over time, you know, like what you said, you know, you can, you know, I've done it for so long. I just keep my logging streak up, <laughs> to be honest, but I know what, you know, I know what six ounces of protein looks like. I know what, you know, 75 grams of carbs look like. I know, you know, and I know, you know, I know if I don't eat enough because I know how I feel, you know, so. Yeah, and, and oh, by the way, so do I, right? I mean, that that's that's what I figured out, you know, in, in the early days of knowing April. What were days where I was counting calories? Were days that I was more conscious of what I was eating and stuff like that? And so, like, those lessons, um, and I talked a little bit about that, uh, about having a plan and, and sticking to the plan and, you know, made a blog post that's actually going to come out on Wednesday. Um, we did have one question that I think I probably would have normally got to. I'm just going to kind of go through it real quick. Um, you know, Jenny was saying that she's a runner and um, she was wondering about a weightlifting protocol. One of the reasons why um, I have one long run a week is because it just fits real well with the way that I weight lift. And so um, I will do some combination of high intensity work um, combined with strength. And so, uh, you know, I talk about it every week, so I don't really need to go super in depth with it. But basically I lift heavy on Tuesdays. Um, I'll do some level of muscle building on that day. And then I will do a short um, high intensity Tabata to end that workout. That's usually tomorrow's workout, so that's what I'll do tomorrow. Um, Wednesdays is sort of like an optional um, muscle building hypertrophy work. Um, and then, uh, you know, sometimes I will wad on that day. Right now, I'm actually just building muscle. Um, there's so many concepts that we, you know, we, we sort of, you know, could have gotten into. Um, that I'm sure we'll get into in the next few weeks. But um, just this, you know, I think a lot of people like today in my situation, if they weren't able to work out and they had a lot of food, you know, they wouldn't have taken a rest day today. And, and it, the body doesn't work like that, right? I mean, like like for me to just take that, 
you know, one extra rest day that I would normally have. It's just going to be, it's just going to mean that I'm going to be better for my workout on Tuesday and Wednesday. Right. And so for Wednesday, I'm going to do muscle building. If I am working, like when we were doing training for the granite games, I wouldn't have done hypertrophy work. I would have done a wad that day. Then Thursday's a rest day. Friday is my long day. So this week will be 18 miles. The next week, I think I come down to 15 miles um, before I head back up to 20. And then um, on uh, Saturday is kind of a rest day, but I, I will often um, go for like a hike. I do have like walks, you know, Sundays, Sundays I don't, you know, it's really more for relaxation. So I don't, I, do, I try not to burden myself with, oh, if I don't walk today, you know, I'll get fat. Um, and then, uh, Sunday is sort of like a potpourri day. It, it sort of depends, but it was sort of interesting, you know, after this Friday where, you know, the last couple Fridays on Sunday, you know, I wasn't always a hundred percent this Sunday, you know, even though I was traveling, I was feeling really good. Like I would have been able to get in a good workout. And so I'm really interested to see, um, I and mean, one of the complaints that, my wife was, was making was that um, my long endurance day was Friday, but it's also date night. And so I think she has high hopes for the, the intra feeding as well. So, you know, I'm not such a bore on date night or I'm not always, you know, crying about, you know, my legs hurting. Um, so here, oh, wait a minute. When you, when you just said that, here I am thinking that, you know, the, your long runs on date night and she's going to think that you, you know, you might be too fatigued to finalize the date night that night. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking, not about the <laughs> the food part. Yeah, you seem to act all tired. <laughs> you be implying that date night has an end game. It is date night. <laughs> no, that that is actually true. Um, no, the um. Okay, so I'll tell you guys a little bit more personal than than you know. My wife will never listen to this, so I'm fine. But uh, no, like uh, you know, even even the days that uh, you know, like really dragged on me and my body, um, you know, normally if I have you know pizza or ice cream or something like that, you know, um, you know, you you literally go from like fetal position, cut off my legs, to like oh my goodness, I have all the energy in the world. And so I was getting some indications before this that that food was fine. But but it was really shocking, you know, how having that food, how easy it was to do 16 miles. I mean, at 14 miles, I thought I was going to die. Then 16 miles, it was like, oh yeah, this isn't that big of a deal. I mean, it's, you know, you always know you're doing a lot of work, right? But but in terms of like the overall drag on your body, it feels fine. But just trust me, you know, the promise of date night has always been fine, April. Don't don't worry your your pretty little head about that one. So all right, guys. Well, we're going to shut this down. Hopefully this was helpful. I do think that there's some ideas that we could have unpacked a little bit better. I definitely want to talk a little bit more about intuitive eating because I think that, uh, you know, that's something that is a goal for a lot of people. And it's something that I do. I know James does. Um, and, and, um, a lot of the eat form coaches do. So we'll talk a little bit 
more about that in an upcoming podcast. And on, unfortunately, we just ran out of time for this one. So I appreciate everybody being here, and we'll talk to you guys later. Bye for now. Bye.